worship you, receive this worship as an offering, Lord God. We just want it to be all about you, Lord. We never want to forget the sacrifices you've made and the, just the magnitude of what you've done, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, look at you faithful here at church today. Good job. You're winning. Yeah, I mean, there's no better place, right? It's Sunday, right? Sunday's the Lord's Day. I don't care if it's January 1st. It's the Lord's Day. Every day is the Lord's Day, amen? So um, actually what's interesting is um, the first time I preached here was on the first day of the year last year, or the first uh, Sunday of the year, January, um, January 2nd last year. So yeah, so I'm excited to be back. So if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Jay Alexander. I'm the associate pastor at Faith and Victory Church. It's over on A Street uh, down here. And um, so, and you may not be aware of this too, but there's a lot of great churches in Auburn. There's a lot of great churches. There's a lot of pastors who are in the truth. Um, and it's great to have those relationships between the pastors because you, know, you can't do this life alone. You need support. And to have other pastors who are like-minded and in the truth and preach a correct doctrine, to be able to support each other um, when the time, when, when in need is just wonderful. Uh, Pastor Chris actually came to Faith and Victory Church a, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and then preached for us. He did a great job. Um, the PowerPoint thing is new to me because we usually have someone in the back just clicking through slides of Bible verses, but I kind of like it because it gives you the ability to be a little creative, you know? Um, so I got a little creative with things this morning too. Um, but we just wanna, you know, I just wanna preach to you through the Bible. Uh, this morning, uh, we're gonna be in Second Peter chapter two, and it's kind of a long portion of scripture, but it really all goes together, so we'll get into it. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, I pray over this sermon. I pray that you, they can be your words and not my words, Lord God. I pray that you can increase and that I can decrease and that you would speak directly to each person the message that you would have for them, Lord God, that we could leave this place today different than when we came in, that we could be changed by listening to your holy word, Lord Jesus, and being in your presence. In your holy name, amen. So who likes to know it all? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody likes to know it all. But before the internet, that's pretty much all we had. Because you had two types of know-it-alls. You had that person who always had a comment about everything. Anything that happens, they just knew about it. And then you'd have the know-it-all who's just this really wise person who did actually seem to know it all. So, uh, you know, I'm a firefighter. And so one thing we do every day is we do the super quiz in the Seattle Times. Anybody else? No? Nobody. Isaac Asimov passed it over to Ken Fisher. Nobody does a super quiz. You're going to have to do the super quiz. Every morning, it's like this get your brain going uh, thing. There's nine questions, and they give you a subject, and then each question, it gets progressively harder towards the end. And then as a group, we try to make sure we can answer all the questions. Um, and the answers are there, of course, um, but you have to answer the question. So it could be anything. It could be about planets. Uh, sometimes it's about the Bible. Sometimes it's like Old Testament Bible, and they're all looking at me like, okay, we got the ringer, let's do it. But there was this guy, George, who people said he was really smart, and I think he was. I think IQ-wise, he was too smart because he couldn't like, 
it was very difficult to relate to him because his view of everything was just so different than everybody else's. It was crazy, but he would always have an answer. But it wasn't always the answer that the newspaper said was the right answer. But that didn't stop him. Because even if the newspaper said it was a different answer, he'd always have some explanation for why his answer is actually right. <laughs> Who was the king in the first century? The, the paper would say, he'd say, uh, Ossuaries. And no, no, it says Xerxes. Well, um, in the Hebrew, uh, translated uh, Ossuaries is the translation for Xerxes. And the king of, you're like, okay, whatever. It's fine. You're right, George. You're always right. And the weird thing was, he was right quite a few times. But now that uh, we have uh, Google, that's the true source. It used to be you would say, hey, let's call so-and-so and ask them because they always know everything. Now it's just Google it. Doing it all weekend with family over Christmas and New Year's. Anything that come up, just Google it. Somebody's in the side just with their phone ready to Google. Anything that comes up in our conversation. But... Anything you need, you can just Google. Uh, but, I mean, the internet is great, okay? The best part of the internet is any piece of knowledge that's ever existed is right there at your fingertips. It's pretty amazing. The worst part about it is so much of it is misinformation and deception these days. You can't even be sure anymore if you Google something if that's the right answer or not. It leaves you in this really weird space saying, how do you know who is right these days and what is the truth? Now, really, most of it is irrelevant to me. It's inconsequential. There's so many things that people Google and that I've Googled that uh, are interesting, and then immediately I just forget what I just Googled because it's inconsequential, and nobody really cares who won the World Series in 1962. Nobody cares about that stuff. But what is consequential and is important is when it comes to Christian doc doctrine and Jesus, it's supremely important to get it right. And you can't just Google that stuff all the time. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I'm a twin. I have a twin brother. And when I was in high school, there was these other twins, uh, um, Jeremy and Jason. And so they were twins too. They looked a lot more alike than my, me and my brother. But I remember I was in class with him one day, and we got to talking about uh, Christian stuff. We're both Christians. Great. So he wanted to invite me to his um, meeting, and I can't remember if it, was, if it was supposed to be church. I thought it was just like a group, maybe like a small group or something. And we showed up, and it was really interesting. I, um, I was with uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time, and so the first thing they did is they separated into men and women. And so my girlfriend's looking at me like, what did you just bring me to? <laughs> now her sole connection of safety is now separated. Now we're in different rooms. And they start talking about, you know, church stuff and doctrine and all these kind of things. And, um, and you know what? It was just one degree off. There was something wrong about it. And I, and, and I just knew it because I sat under good teaching. Our youth pastor preached the truth. And so I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't really put my finger on all of it. And I remember, like, they didn't uh, use any worship music. They didn't worship with music or instruments or anything. And I was like, okay. Um, but isn't there a part in the Bible where David says, I worship him with the harp and the lyre? Like, there's parts in the Bible where they worship with musical instruments, right? Show me in the Bible where that is. Um, I didn't know we were playing that game. I kind of thought we were all on the same page here. Show you in the Bible. 
So everything that I said that was like trying to clarify what they were saying was always, okay, well, where is it then? Always the challenge. And now see, for me, if, if I was talking with somebody and I was trying to tell them good doctrine and they challenged my doctrine and said, well, doesn't it say in the Bible? I'd be like, yes, let's go look right now. We'll look, we'll read it through, and I'll explain to you, you know, the understanding, right? Because I don't want you to walk away just feeling, you know, pushed away. I want you to walk away feeling like you understand it more. But they were more like, well, prove it. And I couldn't. That's the problem. I couldn't. I didn't know my Bible well enough to refute it. I knew it well enough to know what I was hearing was wrong, but not well enough to refute that false doctrine. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17... Boom. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and, make, and, what, and, um, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I'm using the New Living Translation this morning. So, in our verses here in 2 Peter, um, sec, uh, 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter is basically sharing that same sentiment with the Christian believers in the Roman providences of Asia Minor. Um, he's basically saying, consider the true source of what you hear. Um, Peter tells him, uh, Peter tells these people, the other believers, that he was in fact there at the transfiguration and heard the majestic voice of God speak over Jesus, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And that's in the book of Mark chapter nine. Peter tells them to be confident in the words of the prophets. He's trying to encourage them in what the truth is and that they can trust it because he was firsthand witness to these things. He says, um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, or 20 to 21 says, Say above all things you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own um, understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. The apostle Peter hates false teachers and false Christians. And that's what we're talking about today. The danger of false teachers because motives matter. Now, there's people out there who are talking, like you could call them false teachers or talking false doctrine, but it's by accident. They're just new at it. They don't understand it. They listen to the wrong person. They're repeating what somebody else says. Now, when someone's just ignorant or wrong, it doesn't really bug me that much. But when somebody is intentionally preaching a false gospel for some sort of benefit or gain, and they know what they're doing is wrong, that's what is just, uh, just abominable to God. And that is what's really firing Peter up in this section of scripture. Now, it's a really long section of scripture, but the reason why I chose all of it is because it all goes together and it's all dealing with false prophets and teachers and the harm they cause to believers and non-believers. It's almost like Peter is ranting. Like you, you push the button and he just went off and got really angry about it. And, and so it's an interesting section of scripture that we can read through. And like I said, it's long, but we'll, sit, we'll break it down here uh, as we get going. So it says this, but there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. 
In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teachings and shameful immorality. But because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money, but God condemned them long ago and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of the ungodly people, or the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Verse six, later God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels, who are far greater in power and strength, do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at the things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have, have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, the son of Bor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his uh, mad course when a donkey rebuked him with a human voice. 17, the people are as useless, these people are as useless as dried up springs and a mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting with an appeal to a twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves uh, are slave to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when the people escape from their the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved in sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject its command they were given uh, and rejected the command they were given to live a holy life. They proved the truth of the, this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. <sighs> that was a big portion of scripture, but can you see how 
Peter is just ranting about the evils and the awfulness and the characteristics of false prophets and false teachers. That's why I felt like it all went together. And aren't you glad that I don't have any sermon examples in my sermon about a dog returning to its vomit? I felt like that as a self-explanatory statement and I didn't need to further do expository preaching on that. This passage, this passage highlights that the false prophets and teachers were intentional in their deception. They were doing it on purpose. So, and you can see in here, Peter uh, condemns angrily two motives, specifically greed for money and sexual immorality. What makes this sermon timely to me is that he's talking about how there were false teachers and prophets. In this time he's talking to them, there are false teachers and prophets. And in our day and age, really everybody's day and age throughout history, there are false teachers and prophets. And I would imagine that as I read through that, those passages, things popped into your head from modern day that fit into those descriptions. People, things, situations. And what's interesting is that as you talk, and, and some of you have lived through it, some of us have just talked to people who lived through it, over the generations, these things have come up again and again. It's not as if something brand new is happening. There's nothing new under the sun. And so you see that greed for money and sexual immorality are the characteristics. He said they're greedy and they make up clever lies to get your money. He said they follow their own twisted sexual desires and act like animals ruled by their flesh. He said they reject authority, they brag on themselves, and they lure others back into sin. And he even says that their heresy is to reject and deny the foundation of the salvation through Jesus Christ being blood pot. Here's the thing about being a Christian. It, you cannot say you're a Christian unless you believe that you are saved by the sacrifice that Jesus Christ died and he rose again so that you be saved. Jesus is the only way to heaven through Christ alone, through faith alone, in uh, Christ alone. That's the only way. And if that's not what you believe, if you're preaching some other message, you're just not a Christian. I, I, I don't understand why it's so difficult. I don't understand why we have to redefine every word. You either are or you aren't. And so these preachers, even he was saying even here, are even denying the Lord that uh, purchased them by his blood. So I had a couple examples. Actually, my first instinct was to not give you any specific examples of people because I thought like it would be more or less self-explanatory that you could come up with your own examples. But the reality is, is these false prophets and teachers in our modern day era, last 30 years or so at least that, that I was looking at, on the internet that Google told me about were, uh, have millions of people following them. And so I think it's important to kind of point out those things sometimes um, to see. So the first one is Robert Tilton. Anybody remember Robert Tilton? TV evangelist and preacher back in the 90s. Um, he, what he used to do is he used to send out prayer cloths and cords and these little paper arrows and anointing oil and all this kind of stuff. He, and he'd want you to send them back with your prayer requests and of course money. And he'd pray over those things. And the more money you sent, the more faith you had and the more prayers you would have answered. And so he would do this. Um, he'd promise deliverance and healing, wealth, prosperity. They always promised wealth and prosperity. The only people getting rich are them though. Pretty much anything you needed, just send some money in and they'll pray for it and you'll receive it. 
Um, but what was interesting, and, and uh, the news did a, uh, an expose on it, and that's how they figured this out. The return address, all this mail went straight to a bank that Tilton owned. And they would take the money out and basically throw the rest of it away. So very few, if any, actually made it back to him to pray over. It just all went right to the bank. And so the truth eventually came out and he lost his TV show, he lost his church, he pretty much lost all of it. But what's interesting is I Googled him and he's back. He's got his own website. He's got his whole thing. He's uh, still online. He's pushing a whole person prosperity now, whatever that means. He has a, a, a membership you can join, Success in Life Club. Just sell you a membership. Just join up. I'm sure it means you'll have success in life. All you have to do is pay for the membership every month. I know it's crazy, but it gets worse because uh, he also has a book on his website entitled, entitled Strike It Rich with Christ. <laughs> they used to kind of slip it in under the radar. Now it's straight up just like, no, buy my book, Strike It Rich. But what was interesting too, I thought was funny, is there's no prices listed anywhere on the website, but you can, con you can be contacted by a personal representative. I'm sure that personal representative is going to help you get what you need for a, a particular price. But here's the thing about this. The list of people like this is almost endless. There's so many people you can find that have been exposed like this. Another guy I found that I thought was interesting, his name was uh, W.V. Grant. He was also a prominent TV evangelist. Um, and along with the normal shenanigans of these guys, one thing that really stood out to me is that at one point he was... Uh, pushing, uh, raising funds for an orphanage in Haiti. And they would take these pictures and they would show them and it breaks your heart. Look at these poor kids who need our help over there in some uh, foreign forsaken country. He said that ministry was supporting 3,500 children in 64 orphanages in Haiti. And he was raising, uh, oh, the Tilton guy was getting money sent in, 80 million a year his followers were sending into him. Yeah, that's crazy. But this guy for his uh, um, Haiti uh, orphanages was raising $350,000 a month for these poor orphans. But it turns out only 2,000 to 4,000 was actually going to Haiti. I don't know, the rest could have been going to overhead. I think it probably cost money, right, to run stuff. <laughs> Maybe $350,000 a month. Well, it may not be a surprise that in 1996, he went to prison for tax evasion. But interestingly enough, as of 2022, he still does crusades called miracle revivals where he does healings and everything. And on his website, he has a Haiti outreach on his website that you can sign up to sponsor a Haitian child. And somebody's doing it. I guarantee you there are people signing up through his website because they think they're sponsoring a Haitian child. But what do you think the chances are that that money's actually going to Haiti? He's already proven himself to be a fraud. But here's what's interesting is that when these people come out and they do this stuff, they plant these seeds of doubt that not only uh, just push non-believers away from the faith entirely, but they also push believers away. I was just in Peru in March and I was working with this organization that does sponsorships um, for uh, Peruvian kids 
for education. They've been around for 20 years. They, they've dialed it into realizing that to change uh, the society and to elevate their uh, living is to get them an education. Basically, it's the hard way. We'll help you get an education. You go out and you get a job and then you bring those resources back to the community and just elevate the whole community through education. That's the hard way. It'd be much easier just to throw money at it but they found out that doesn't work. So I was there with them doing sponsorships and memberships, going from village to village, meeting these kids in person. I worked with these two young people, Fiorella and Christian, who I worked with all week, come to find out they're in college. She wants to be an obstetrician and he's gonna be a a, a businessman, international business person. And uh, I was like, I could sponsor them. So I read this thing about the Haitian sponsorship and I seriously started to doubt wait a second, where's my money going? (laughs) I was there. (laughs) I met these young people and still it caused me to doubt a little bit. How much more so people who haven't actually been out there in the nuts and bolts of it all? And it goes without saying that sexual sin has also plagued well-known religious leaders and that list is very long as well. Titus chapter one, verse 16 says, such people, claim, uh, such people claim to know God, but they deny him by their, the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Now, many non-believers seem to know more about the scandals than they do about the Savior. I don't know if you've experienced that with people when you try to talk to them about Jesus and all they know is about, you know, um, some televangelist who got busted for some fraud or some scam or some sexual sin. It's pretty sad, really, because these give Christ a bad name and it turns everybody away. But this is why you don't build your faith on people. This is why you don't say, uh, my faith is strong because of this one pastor or this one evangelist or this one ministry. Your faith has to be in Christ alone because then when these things fall away and when these people are shown to be frauds or, or fall in sin or whatever happens to them, your faith won't be crushed because it's built on Jesus alone. Because sin is sneaky, man. It's shameful. We've all got to pay attention to the deceptions. One thing I don't like about necessarily focusing on specific individuals is it kind of gives this illusion that somehow they are the ones with the problem, but we're not the ones with the problem. What I'm telling you is my guess, and I'm only guessing, but my guess is most of these people that have fallen to these uh, sins and fallen down hard may have started out with okay motives. They may have legitimately been saved before they sold their soul to the devil and tricked everybody and stole their money. I'm not sure, but I've known people who have gone into ministries like this and gotten saved, then started reading their Bibles and realized that the church is preaching a false doctrine and then go to a real church. What I'm saying is that it's sneaky and we all have to be careful that we don't fall for these same deceptions that some of these other people have. Second Peter chapter two, verses two and three says this. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. My first point is this. Knowing, know the truth and you can spot the lie. If you know the truth, you can spot the lie. Um, when I was at, went with that uh, other twin from high school to that Christian group, um, it, they were very convincing. 
and they were very solid in what they thought and believed. But since I had a good Christian youth pastor, I knew what they were saying was wrong, but I didn't know what it was, and I, and I actually called him in. I said, hey, I need you to come to this group with me so we can figure out what's wrong. And so I remember he showed up and we sat down and they started talking and he didn't, he didn't even tell them they were wrong. He went like this. Oh, okay, I see. All right, let's go. And we just left. And I'm like, you see what? What just happened? But the reality is I can't have my youth pastor in my back pocket everywhere I go. I need to know what the truth is for myself. I can't just have a secondhand gospel that I took from somebody else. The secondhand gospel is something that many Christians uh, that don't read their Bibles end up having. If you don't read your Bible, then you end up relying on things like podcasts and Sunday sermons, books, daily devotionals. But this isn't a substitute for reading your Bible. I actually would hope or encourage you that even after today, after listening to me for what will probably end up being like 45 minutes, to go home and check these verses out and make sure that I rightly discern them, that I preach them correctly so that you're not being led astray by one degree or another. It's a good thing to do. We have a lot of good truth sources. There's a lot of good preachers and a lot of good podcasts, but you can't just take what's translated and interpreted through another person because it's easier to have subtle uh, heresies sneak in and be intertwined with what you're listening to. You have to hold it up against the Bible. You know, I've had people who talk about they have a Bible study and they want to invite you to a Bible study, but it turns out they're actually just reading through a devotional book. Now, maybe a very good devotional book, but reading through somebody's book is not a Bible study. Studying the Bible is a Bible study. That's what you really should be doing if you're spending your time. A well-spoken preacher who speaks his mind for an hour loosely anchored in one Bible verse or a portion of a Bible verse is not the same as reading your Bible. Now, I like to pepper a whole bunch of Bible verses in here because I don't want you to think that I'm just making it up. Um, I'm not saying that um, my, my uh, Pastor Alan, my Kenyan friend, he will take a verse and just preach about it. And he's not wrong about what he's saying. Uh, it's a great style. It's intriguing to listen to. Um, but what I'm saying is that there's a lot of pastors out there, and mostly, obviously, you can see them on the internet, that will take just a small portion of a verse and then talk all about these different things and all these different stories. And then when you get down to it, you're like, where's the Jesus in all of this? I mean, I'm inspired. I'm motivated. Maybe I have some steps at how to have a better life, but... But I didn't come to church to hear about some steps you came up with for a plan for a better life. I came to hear about Jesus and how Jesus will give me a better life. False teachers will use partial truths to lure unstable people and those who have barely escaped a lifestyle of deception back into sin. We're talking about like new believers here. People who don't really know their word well are these type of people who easily get sucked into this stuff of these false truths. We have to be careful of it. I talk about how, how many people know how they spot counterfeit money. Have you heard this story before? It's pretty good, right? Um, so to find the fakes, I was looking at this on the interwebs, um, to spot counterfeit money, they say there's four, there's four things that you can look for. One, um, that money has a touch and a feel to it. It's kind of rough to the touch. It's not smooth. 
Another thing is there's, I think right now, the money they make right now from the $5 bill on up actually has a security thread in it. So when you hold it up to the light, you can see almost a little ribbon that goes through it. That's another thing that you can look for on, on newer money. I think when you get 20 or 30 years old, it's not in all the money, but you can see it in newer money. So that's one way to do it. The other thing is, is that money's got a color shifting ink on it. So when you kind of move the money back and forth like this, you can see it kind of changed from a green to a copper color. That's another sign. And there's also micro printing on it. So if you were to put like a magnifying glass on it or if you looked really close, there's words in there. There's all sorts of designs that you can't really see. And I would hope that the, rea or the reason why is because a printer may not be able to pick that stuff up. So it'd be make these, all these things make it more difficult to counterfeit money. Not impossible, but no, more difficult. But this is what I thought was most important, uh, most interesting. This is according to currency operations employees, the people who handle all the money and uh, can weed out the fake money. It's a, they say this, that the feel of the currency is uh, one of the primary factors their staff uses to determine the authenticity of the money, of the currency. Um, the money's made out of, and maybe you knew this, it's not paper, it's fabric. It's 75% cotton and 25% linen. It's one of the reasons why it feels so differently, and it's so durable. It goes through a lot of wear and tear. He said, and when you're handling it every day, you definitely know what it feels like. So all of a sudden, you get a piece of paper in your hand, and you're like, oh no, that's different. And reading the Bible is not different than that. When you read the truth every day, the lies stand out. When you have that Bible in your hand and you've been reading it, when you hear something that's false, it immediately stands out because you're so familiar with what's right, what's wrong is, is glaring in the light of it. There, there, are many, there are mega church Christian pastors that are saying things from their pulpit like, there is no hell. There's one who's got a giant church that says uh, that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Like he says this in sermons with thousands of people in the congregation. And I'm just looking at it like, how come people aren't getting up and walking out? What is more foundational to being a Christian than that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? But they say it and they get away with it. There's, uh, um, there's pastors out there that say things like, uh, um, they encourage you to send every last time. Some of those prosperity preachers are literally pointing at the TV screen saying, whatever you have down to the last dollar, send it to us and, and it'll multiply. How just predatory is that? And there's lots of celebrity pastors and big name pastors, mega churches that are celebrating sexual sin right now. It's all coming in there. Second Corinthians verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 13 and 14 says, these people are false, false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised because even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment of their wicked, the wicked deeds deserve. It's interesting because they have Christian churches and they're Christian pastors and they have millions of people who are listening to them and following them worldwide, who tune in every week, who send them money, who buy their books, all of this kind of stuff. And it's just deceitful and it's a disguise, but it's not new. 
So I think about like, how do you refute all this? Uh, you know, when people say, well, what about this or that? How do you help people see the lies? And you know what I always do? What does the Bible say? If you don't know what the Bible says, you're gonna be in trouble. Say, well, what about this? Uh, uh, th- this pastor said this and, and that's, uh, you know, whatever. Isn't that crazy? Some new fresh revelation. Well, what does the Bible say? If you can find it in the Bible, that's the interesting thing, is I was caught in that same exact thing by that one group who was saying, what does the Bible say? And man, if I knew what the Bible said, then I would be able to hold them accountable for their doctrine. (laughs) But I didn't, but that's the way, that's the trick. You have to know what the Bible says. 2 Timothy chapter three, verse 13 and 14 says, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught them to you. This is the first-hand gospel. If you read it in the Bible for yourself, you can know it's true. You have to follow up on what's being taught to you. What Paul is saying here is that you've learned the truth. He's telling the Christian church, you've learned the truth firsthand. So you can trust that. All these other deceptive heresies that are coming in, you can refute that by knowing that, pay attention to what you've already learned firsthand from the firsthand um, of those people who were there. Now, it's a little more complex than this, but essentially the Bible is a collection of documents of firsthand accounts of eyewitnesses and prophets. One of the reasons why those uh, particular books were included in the Bible, the one that you have in your hands and you read, is because they were eyewitness accounts. They weren't stories of stories of stories. These were stories of the people who saw it with their very eyes. And that's why they're there. Peter, John, and Matthew were the, uh, some of the original disciples. James and Jude were the brothers of Jesus. They were there the whole time. Moses, David, and the prophets testified to their own, to their own experiences with God. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Their testimonies and their preaching can be validated as true and accurate. The books of the Bible were brought together because they comprised these first-hand accounts, and they were widely trusted and accepted documents, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, not by man. That's kind of a given, but that's part of the reason. So when somebody, when some new preacher has some great sermon and they're very eloquent, and they have some new fresh revelation that they've just discovered that's changing everything and selling their book, I'm always thinking, so after 2,000 years, you're the one who figured it out. Everybody else just blind to it. But all of a sudden, 2,000 years later, you have some fresh revelation about Jesus that nobody ever thought of before. Come on, come on, consider the source, amen? My second point is this. One degree off still leads to destruction. If you take a line and you have another parallel line with it that is just one degree different, for the first part of it, it's all gonna look like it's the same but you get way down the road and eventually that one degree is gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. So the small compromises to the biblical truth or the faithful obedience can one day lead you to a place that you never thought you'd be. Like a drifting boat. Who spent time on a boat before? I remember one time I was on this boat and we were out in the lake and everything was great. The sun was shining, we're all having fun. Then all of a sudden, 
we're running up against the beach. I don't know how we were against the beach. We were in the middle of the lake. Well, because we didn't have an anchor out. We were just drifting. And before we knew it, it just snuck up on us and we were up on the shore. You can't be complacent about sin. You can't compromise with the world on your values. In 1 Corinthians chapter five, Paul rebukes the church for being complacent about sin. He says this to them. He says, I can hardly believe the reports about the sexual immorality going on among you. You were so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that the sin is like the yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing the wicked person from among you. And he continues in uh, verses 9 through 11. He says, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I was talking about unbelie- uh, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or greed or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world and avoid to avoid people like that. I mean that you should not associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. There's the distinction line that I think sometimes our culture gets wrong. Listen, the world's gonna do what the world does. How am I gonna hold the world accountable to God's law when they don't even believe in God? Let's get them saved first, and then we'll start talking about how to live a righteous life. But I'm not gonna go out there and just start beating random citizens over the head about where I think they're going wrong in their lives without first helping them see how Jesus is their Lord and Savior. But clearly, inside the church, you have the right right and the ability, almost really the obligation to call out sin when you see it and not allow it. I mean, so often these days, we're just, I mean, you could say this exact thing to the modern day church. Why are we just accepting and compromising with what the world's doing when we know it's wrong? We can't shift our values and our beliefs. That's what Peter's railing on and upset about right now. It just starts with a little sin and a compromise. That's what happens. You compromise a little bit to keep the, the peace, to avoid persecution, but it will end in forsaking your obedience to God. And all in order just to not get canceled. Nobody wants to get canceled. I was in, a couple years ago, I was in Cambodia. And uh, so we're out in the, you, you don't want to call it the jungle or the bush, that's offensive. We're out in some rural villages and, um, and we were just out there. We were, we were mingling with the kids. Oh, let me show you a picture. Oh, half the picture's cut off. That's okay. Look at this kid's face. Doesn't he look like he did something wrong? <laughs> he looks guilty, doesn't he? So we're, in, uh, we're out there in uh, rural villages and stuff, and we're playing with the kids, and we're trying to talk to adults. I think we were just got done um, preaching in church. And so this one guy on the team, this big, strong veteran guy, older guy on the team, he's playing with these kids and they all have candy. Gave him candy and they all have candy and it's in their little grubby kid hands, you know, kids' hands are always sticky and dirty and it's in his hands and they're, they're messing with it and they're playing around with it. And, uh, you know, we believe that it had fallen on the ground and got picked back up. 
And so the kid really wants his team member to you know, eat this candy, eat the gummy bear. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. But, you know, you don't want to be rude. I mean, you know, you don't want to offend these kids and just act like, you know, you're too good for it all. And yeah, just play the game, you know, play along. Just brush some of the sand off of it and just eat the gummy bear and just play nice. You don't want to be rude. Um, (laughs) That team member was violently ill for days after that. Oh my gosh, they, were, they stayed in the room for two or three days just violently ill after eating that gummy bear. So I'm gonna tell you what, do not eat the gummy bear. <laughs> Don't do it. The world wants you to compromise and eat a little sand, but it's contaminated. Don't let it in. You could look at that thing, well, that's not the actual gummy bear, but you can imagine um, being like, it's just one little thing, it can't be that bad. Don't eat anything off the floor if you're in some foreign country. I'm telling you, it will wreck you. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32 says this. It says, For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. My last point is this. You will be persecuted, but God will rescue the righteous. Christians are getting canceled all the time. Uh, You can see it all over the internet. You can see it all over uh, mainstream society. Uh, They're getting accused of being bigots and haters, whack jobs. Um, They're losing public respect. They're losing jobs. Um, Their credibility is being destroyed simply for standing on their beliefs. It's not different than it was back then. They were getting the same kind of treatment, getting cast out of society for simply standing on their values and beliefs. In 2 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 8, in our verses today, God protected Noah when he, was dis- when he destroyed the world of ungodly people in the flood. He protected Noah. He rescued Lot from um, the raining down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah when he turned them into an ash heap. The destruction is coming. The example of God, that God did not spare the sinners like this in the past, he, uh, he's made that an example. He's, he's not gonna overlook it. But God did spare and rescue the righteous among them. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of judgment. Psalms chapter 34, verses 18 and 19 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God, uh, uh, God is merciful, a merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Let this be an encouragement for you today. I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm trying to bring you up. That even though all the stuff you see in the world right now can be crazy, maybe not the craziest it's ever been, but it's certainly on track with every generation. Let this be an encouragement to you today that God rescues the righteous, that if you stay faithful and you endure, God will rescue you from this world and this, and this place to stand by your convictions. God's bigger than any agenda or problem going on in the world. God's bigger than that. You don't need to fear about it. 
And my last verse is this, Psalms 30, verse five says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Now, I never want to come into church, any church, and talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel, but not give people an opportunity to respond to it. What's really great about this is I don't know all of you. And so you may have been here every single Sunday, but honestly, there's people who show up to church every Sunday and they're still not saved. We don't know who they are, but they know who they are. So maybe today is the moment that you want to truly give your life to Jesus Christ, where you really want to just say, I'm done pretending, I'm done with all this stuff, I want to give my life to Christ right now, I want to repent of my sins, be forgiven, and truly walk with Jesus. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today for the very first time, never done it before, we want to pray with you, we want to partner with you, you just raise your hand at me so we know that you're there and we can pray with you and partner with you in that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord God, we just love you and give you everything. Lord God, we, we glorify you and we want to give our lives to you this morning, Lord Jesus. Forgive, forgive us of our sins and our trespasses, Lord, and show us the way of righteousness as you fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, we just want to serve you from now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for enduring. I know that was a long sermon. I um, hope you got something out of it. Um, church, next week, be here. Pastor Chris will be back. And so if you didn't like today, he'll be back next week. <laughs> and, and he'll make up for it next week. So thanks for being here. Love you guys. Have a good day.